0: boom shakalaka here we go how you doing gorgeous
1: I'm doing well how are you
0: I'm doing I'm doing you're looking better than well you were looking like some amazing goddess of spiritual intensity as I like to say I love your your outfit looking sensational wow so um (laughs) this is this is the first podcast um that we've done well obviously this is the first podcast um (laughs) that I have had um where I've had to interview someone as interesting as yourself that's caught up in all of these things like embodiment pow- embodiment, powering or something or other and then we have all these interesting uh, little areas of uh of weird science and spirituality that you're caught up in <laughs> but in any That's event that is, gotcha. you, that is you um do you want to just adjust your camera just so i can get a horizontal view? if you want to turn that around be better for this uh, this setup so just turn it to a landscape view that would be awesome Boom shakalaka. That is perfect. I love it. Now we can see you in all your majesty. All right. Great. So Christina Ayla. Oh, actually it's Christina Mayers. Is that your, is that, oh, that's your name. I've actually seen that for the first time now. Welcome to my podcast. I'm just going to do a brief <laughs> intro just to give you, give people a heads up in regards to what you do. And then I'm going to let you speak a bit more about yourself, but Wonderful. we are, we are recording. Let's rock. So ladies and gentlemen, we have the beautiful Christina Mayors, That's right. Mayers? Myers. I- May- okay. In the house, Ayla. And uh, she is amongst many things. She is a, an embodiment, embodiment coach. She is a, a pansexual yogini <laughs> of spiritual intensity. She is involved in a lot of interesting things. And we're going to spend the next hour just talking to her about her views on, on spirituality, sexuality, uh, all the cool things that she's been caught up in and uh, we'll see how we go from there. But ladies and gentlemen, be sure to like this video, subscribe, click on the bell, tell your friends, tell your mom, drop us the comments, let us know what it is and be sure to check us out on the Patreon. I have a Patreon where you guys can uh, support me if you want to keep apprised of all the cool things I'm involved in. But Christina, let's rock. So tell me a bit more about yourself. I mean, I've never really had a chance to explore in detail all the amazing things that you're involved in. So first of all, What is an embodiment coach and what is it that you do?
1: That is a great question. A lot of people don't actually understand what embodiment is, but it's very simple. It's just about helping people to get out of the mind and into the body, into the present moment so that they can be more present in their body, feel the sensations in their body, feel their emotions, and not get stuck up in creating stories or meaning or being worried about the future or stuck in the past. Um, And there's all different tools that we can use to do that, um, such as using the breath, sound, touch, and movement.
0: That is so powerful. I only just realized this now, but what you're talking about is essentially what I'm striving to do all the time as an artist, and in fact, what a lot of martial artists are striving to do. And it's known as different things. It's it's referred to as um, outcome independence. Um, essentially, moving yourself into a state where you're not caught up in uh, the outcome. Essentially, you're just allowing yourself to manifest uh, your your innate intelligence. Like anytime you're doing something and you are you're caught up in that in that love of what you're doing. Like some people say it's being in the flow state. Some people say it's being in that Zen state. And it sounds to me like that's what you're referring to with um, the, uh, the work that you're doing. So just being more authentically you.
1: That's it. So turning down kind of the external stimuli and turning up the volume of what's happening inside of us so we can connect to the wisdom within our bodies mm-hmm. um, because so many people are disconnected from that. You know, there's no. a lot going on right now and it's easy to you know get caught up in it and get taken out of our own experience
0: sure so is this more of a therapy or is is this some kind of uh I guess uh art form I mean does this take on the role of helping people get over some of the the trauma that they dealt with I mean what's the the general application that you use this for in your work
1: Sure, so um, most people that would come to me would have already been to talk therapy, so they're at a point where they're ready to explore through the body. Um, so like myself personally, um, you know, I came to this kind of healing journey from a place of trauma. Um, you know, I, my first sexual experience was not consensual um, and I was very young. Um, and I did about a decade of talk therapy and I was finding myself not making a huge amount of uh, progress and what has helped me more than anything is this embodiment and it's just so powerful and has changed my life and um, because of that yeah I'm really passionate about this work and and sharing it with the world and, and helping others as well.
0: Absolutely. So I take it you would have tried other therapies um, in regards to getting over the trauma. And this is something that's proven to be the most beneficial. You mentioned you did some talk therapy. I mean, I presume that relates to your, your typical uh, sessions you'd have with a, with a therapist counseling, that kind of stuff. Um, was that effective? And how does, I guess, what you're doing now vary um, from from the talk therapy?
1: So I'm not a psychologist or a counselor, mm-hmm. you know, anything like that um when i speak to talk therapy that's what i'm talking about like going to a psychologist or gotcha. going to a counselor mm. or going to a psychiatrist um, and you know obviously it was people need to talk initially like it's definitely something that's needed mm-hmm. um, but what i found on my journey is it's helpful to a point and then you know because at the end of the day You know, emotion and trauma is stored within the body. Um, So we need to move the body to release that.
0: Absolutely. I was about to make the same point because it's one thing knowing that you have a problem on a conscious level, but because so much of this trauma is happening on an unconscious, a subconscious level, you really have to get to the heart of that. And things dealing with movement, things dealing with, the form of activity where it's, it's basically what I call somatic intelligence, where you're not caught up in your head. That's how you address issues like that. Like um, one of the things that I find that's really powerful about music to me, which is to me like a form of therapy is that you move away from your, your head intelligence and you allow that, that, um, that aspect of you to flow. And I feel like it's, it's cathartic. I look at a lot of the, the practices we do in a lot of these spiritual uh, modalities like yoga as being a form of um, of exercising of demons in the same way that you um, an exorcist tries to exercise these uh, these negative entities you know from your body by movement essentially you're exercising a lot of the neurotic holding patterns this is what uh, Elliot House who's a guy that I tend to follow a lot of the work so he refers to it as essentially you build up all of these Um, neurotic patterns within your body, sometimes it's through trauma, obviously experiences that you've had, and it affects Mm -hmm. you on that subconscious, that um, muscle memory level. And the best way to exercise that sometimes is to get out of your your mind, per se, and into your body, or better yet, realizing that you're actually accessing your mind by accessing your body. A lot of people tend to separate that, but Mm -hmm. through movement, through, I presume, the work you're doing with embodiment, uh, you're, you're getting it at the heart of that problem where it's happening on that body level
1: that's exactly it and you know emotions they're just energy and motion Uh, the thing is there's a lot of people that they don't want to feel their emotions you know so they ignore them or they numb them or they push them down and you know what then happens is they get stuck they get stuck in the body and they bottle up and then they leak out in these really unconscious ways. But, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza says emotions only last between 60 to 90 seconds in the body. Like if we were to actually allow ourselves to feel and move those emotions through us, our lives would be a lot better. <laughs> 100%. I'm
0: and so you- glad. Yeah. So you glad you brought up this issue because this is so relevant. I feel it to what is going on, particularly in the the male psyche in this day and age, um, yeah. and this is obviously connected to the work you're doing. But a common theme I'm finding in this day and age is people think that if you are too open, you're too vulnerable. It's essentially a, a a form of of a lack of masculinity. Like there's some guys that have this attitude that by showing your feelings, by actually expressing the fact that you feel a, a particular way, it's it's not good. It's not a manly thing to do. And one, when you build up all of these uh, these negative feelings within yourself and you don't express them, you're, you're constantly hiding them. I don't think that really addresses the problem. And it, it's not cathartic. I think one of the best ways to actually overcome your your trauma is to talk about it and to express it rather than pretending it doesn't exist. And one of the things that I think we've been seeing, particularly in the, uh, the media at the moment, is just this whole attitude of being like a lot of people. Are you familiar with the term synth? A l- basically a-, a lot of people get called a simp particularly please men al- <laughs> sorry
1: please enlighten me
0: okay well essentially people tend to call someone a simp if you are too basic you tend to uh you you tend to be too much of a a crybaby uh you tend to be too nice per se rather than being vulnerable i'd say being a simp is you know in a sense being vulnerable about how you feel who you are for instance, men are brought up to not to show their emotions, you know, and if you to- show too much of your emotions, you're called a simp. If you're too nice to someone, and you express the fact that you are this, uh, this person that has feelings, per se, that's considered to be a very simp attitude. And I feel like mm-hmm. that only um, compounds the problem, you know, if people are going through trauma, and they're, they're told that they have to pretend that they should be something that they're not, and they can't confide with with someone in regards to who they really are and what they're really feeling. It creates this problem. Um, yeah. yeah. What, have you have you experienced that with people before? Or like, have, have you come across that kind of attitude where people are perhaps guarded perhaps in any relationships or just in your, your day to day experiences?
1: Look, I'd say all of that is a product of toxic masculinity and these really whack ideas that people have of what it means to be masculine or a man. But you know, the truth is there's so much strength in being vulnerable and there's so much intimacy that can be gained by being vulnerable. And definitely, you know, in my life, in relationships, I've experienced men who are quite, you know, guarded and, and don't want to talk about their feelings. But, you know, nowadays I'm not even attracted to men like that because I just find them to be, you know, emotionally unavailable and I want to create that depth and I want to create that intimacy and that requires someone who is able to speak to their emotions Um, but in saying that you know that's from a place where you know they have a conscious awareness and they know how to move through it so they're not just stuck in a state of like victimhood and stuck in story and looping over the same thing over and over again they're like able to see their patterns and be like okay this is what's happening for me and this is how i'm gonna you know move through it or this is how i desire to support to move through it
0: Mm. and thanks for sharing that with us because i think a lot of guys need to hear that because i know for a fact i've had this conversation many times amongst my friends and uh i've seen this you know it's a common Read in many online conversations where guys think that yeah, girls say that that they want someone that is going to be vulnerable, but they find and look, you know, honestly, I've had that experience where you open up and uh, and then you have this experience where someone doesn't doesn't reciprocate those feelings when you've been too vulnerable, uh, or they've used that against you when the relationship is falling apart, and as a result, guys become more guarded. And I've heard the the analogy mm-hmm. that in the same way, women tend to. Well, I, I guess typically be more reserved in regards to uh, opening themselves up to up to a man physically in terms of sex. You know, they classically we, we see a lot of women being more reluctant to, uh, to open themselves because they they tend to be more vulnerable. They don't want to be used. Men tend to do that when it comes to their emotions because they don't want to be hurt because they don't want to feel as if someone doesn't uh, doesn't really appreciate them for being who they are. They tend to put on this facade because they've been hurt in the past so it's kind of like the Mm -hmm. masculine version of a woman wanting to protect her her essentially her um, virginity or not even that but essentially becoming intimate with someone on that early basis and I guess it's I find what you're saying so so true because we we assume that being vulnerable is I mean a lot of guys assume that's being uh, somewhat uncourageous right when it's actually the opposite because it takes so much Mm -hmm. strength and actually to open yourself up knowing full well that someone may actually not respond in the right way so um
1: yeah what you were speaking to also relates to the polarity between men and women in terms of tantra in that you know for a woman our heart is our positive pole and our yoni is our negative pole so what that means is that you know, we have to, you have to penetrate our heart first. So you have to, you know, engage with us emotionally first before we're going to open up sexually. Whereas men is actually around the other way, which is interesting. Their positive pole is through the lingam and their negative pole is through the heart. That's, so
0: Yeah, that's actually very, very true. I think um, we can all attest to that, you know. Um, but I'm mean, interested to hear your thoughts on sexuality, because I know that seems to be connected to what you do i mean you 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 openly say you're you're pansexual um on your (laughs) on your profile which to some people is i mean that's somewhat of a of, of a new term but in regards to your thoughts on sexuality and what it means to be pansexual um what what is that all about to you
1: well like to for me like becoming pansexual was quite a journey so um You know, when I was younger, um, you know, the world is very heteronormative. All I really saw was, like, men and women. Like, I didn't really know many, like, gay people or bi people. But, you know, when I was in high school, I would experiment and kiss girls. But I was like, oh, I don't know if I like women or not. And it wasn't until I was older that until I fully had the experience that I was like, wow, I like women as well. And then I identified as bisexual. Um, Mm -hmm. But then when I was older again, um, I realized that that label was really limiting too in that, you know, I wasn't just attracted to men and women. Um, I was also attracted to non-binary people and transgender so what do, people. So what does
0: that mean? Because we, we throw out a lot of terms here, heteronormative, uh, binary. So for someone that is, <laughs> I guess, a simp in the world of sexuality, pansexualism, that's uh, that's somewhat new to me. So okay. what do we mean when we're talking about these terms in, ter- well, in terms of um heteronormative and well i guess all the different forms of sexuality perhaps if you can elaborate on that a bit
1: apologies so heteronormative means like that heterosexuality is seen as the norm so heterosexual sure. being like relationships between people like you know men and women, women that's yeah. like pushed. that's pushed on us in society that's what we see in the media that's everywhere it's just assumed that you're heterosexual mm-hmm you know, um, non-binary, um, means that you don't identify as either male or female. So your gender is fluid. Um, okay. and, um, you know, so is
0: that, is that in terms of like your, when I speak about sexuality, I'm, I mean, there are, I guess, different ways of defining that, but are you speaking about what you were attracted to in terms of what you sexually go for? or are you talking about like your, your biology? I mean, I think most people would see you in you know, being a beautiful woman having what I call feminine features and they would uh, attribute that to one sex, you know what I mean, uh, and it, but how I guess how you um, interpret that in your understanding of um, sexuality, how does, how does that work.
1: The sex um sexuality and gender like two different things right so like personally i identify as a woman i was born a woman so i'm cisgender i'm i'm female sure um you know some people are born one sex but they don't identify with that so Mm -hmm. say someone was born a woman but they want to identify as non-binary
0: sure um
1: or they're born as a woman, but then, you know, they actually feel no, I'm a man. And then they transition and go on that path. Sure. Um, You know, whereas sexuality is like, yeah, who you're attracted to. So for me, in essence, it's really simple. I'm attracted to people. I'm attracted to humans. You know, genitalia is irrelevant. Like I'm attracted to souls. You know, Mm. it doesn't matter what you have in your pants. If I... my soul aligns with your soul i'm attracted to you so that's why i'm pansexual because i'm attracted to all all genders um that's interesting and whereas people that are bisexual um they are attracted to their own gender and the opposite gender so that's exclusive of does not include you know non-binary people
0: sure so essentially with pansexualism there are no Uh, limitations when it comes to the attraction to the different types of people it's not limited to one uh, one sex in terms of um, male or female and uh, it's it's not limited to one gender it's essentially I find you attractive um, because of what I see within your your soul and the way that you express yourself
1: that's exactly it and you know um, I only recently started I guess relating with non-binary people and within like the past year or so Mm -hmm. and what i did it was like actually the most beautiful experience because like sexually i could feel both the expression of the masculine and feminine and um you know at the end of the day we all have these energies within us and it's just you know they that's how they choose to identify
0: sure i think a lot of it comes down to the definitions like how people interpret the word masculine and feminine and sex, but I, I fully understand what you're saying. And it's interesting to me because uh, I think when we're looking at sexuality or uh, attraction, I think that's a better word for it. The way I look at it is as far as attraction goes in, in, in terms of being drawn to someone, finding some, someone uh, attractive in terms of them having a pull, uh, that can be on a non-sexual or a sexual level. And of course, I think I want to generalize here and I want to I want to say that I think when we're dealing with males typically, and they've actually done a lot of tests, a lot of surveys regarding this kind of stuff, I think they tend to be more, they don't tend to be as fluid when it comes to their uh, um, attraction. Like I, I heard of a survey one time that was done where on a scale of one to five, obviously these things are very difficult to weed out because people may not give the most accurate answer, but let's say with um, five being extremely heteronormative, so attracted to one sex and one being more fluid, I guess, like yourself. Mm-hmm. They found that wary males would answer more on the four or five spectrum, so being far more on the heteronormative. They found that women would answer more on the two, the three or the one, meaning that they're more fluid. And you, I typically, at least in my experience, I found that uh, with the interactions that I, I have with my male friends, They tend to uh, look at attraction in terms of on the sexual level, anyway. Which I always try to make Mm -hmm. a distinction between in regards to the uh, just on an an attraction level, because I'm attracted to everything like yourself. Like I like beautiful, um, whole, um, whole things in terms of things that are wholesome. You know, things that are. That, that vibrate on a high level, things that uh, have a mutual level of um, affinity with me. You know, that's, that's something that draws me to myself, you know. But in terms of sexuality, as far as attraction, um, I find myself being attracted more to one, one sex. And I find that generally, at least the, the conversations that I've had with guys and what I typically see with my guy friends, which varies more so from my experience anyway with women, is they tend to lean more so towards the uh, heteronormative. Um, what do you think about that?
1: I think I wonder if that's a result of a lot of internalized homophobia. You know, the bisexual woman is so fetishized. Everyone wants a woman that's into, you know, women and men. But the bisexual man, there's actually, you know, there's a bit of s- stigma around that, you know, there's a bit of like biphobia. And, um, you know, a lot of men feel a lot of shame around um, you know sexual act- activity that's you know for example around their anus and stuff but there's actually so much pleasure in that region and sure. a lot of that stems from homophobia like having this like prejudice against male and male sexual interactions and um, I've met a lot of men that You know have this desire and have this attraction but then they also have this shame so they're not willing to explore it so i wonder like what the world would look like if it would this survey results would be different if we are in a world where that was celebrated instead of shamed well
0: i think that's definitely true i i can attest to having friends that have been very shielded in regards to speaking openly about um their their sexuality uh, their bisexuality, and then others that have been just far more fluid, um, uh, as far as open, rather, um, speaking about this kind of stuff. And I think part of it is the, uh, we'll call it what you will, toxic masculinity, or just the the, the general um, social uh, themes that we see within in the West. What's interesting is you have a look at certain cultures, like I know the Navajo Indians, they actually had this understanding that there weren't two sexes in how we classically deem that here in the west they actually spoke about four so essentially you'd have male female then you have male with i guess what you'd call gender an attraction towards males, and then you would have female with attraction towards um females you know there were actually four genders or i I guess and it's interesting how that was actually accepted within the community but up till more recently uh we've always kind of worked operated on this idea of of just two sexes so to speak and uh or genders i guess that would be the more appropriate word
1: yeah it's interesting you speak to that because here in australia um the indigenous australians also had a much broader idea of gender and you know they've been around for like fifty thousand years if not more They're one of the longest standing civilizations on earth and mm. they had this thing the true spirit you know they had gender identities that were not binary mm. and then we've come come in and put this binary system of like female male that's it but it's so much more diverse than that and you know there's intersex people there are people that are born with mixes you know where are they accommodated for Um, you know
0: 100 that's the other thing because where is a lot of people put this in the realm of oh you know these are just airy fairy uh um, constructs that you're talking about but we know on a physiological level they're actually women that are born that actually have, um, for instance, a high level of, uh, let's say, testosterone, like there's actually a female sprinter that um, I think I want to use the word intersex. I'm not sure if that's the right term, but essentially what you would typically see within uh, what we say on a biological level, a male having certain um, uh, hormones and so forth, like you're not seeing this within this type of person. So we know that this does happen. It's not just as simplistic as some people would like to have it. And what I find interesting about history and just the efflorescence of consciousness as a society is that we learn more and more not just about the world without externally but also within we've we've learned that there's a lot more to uh, our physiology our psychology as we've gone about through the years you know there was a time when we thought there were these limitations within the physical body that oh I guess the the classic example is that men could not um, or anyone for that matter could not run like they actually thought that you could not run a mile under four minutes you're familiar with the four minute mile story and then we And then someone actually broke that. And then we realized, oh, Mm -hmm. it's actually possible. And we've also done this in terms of technology. People thinking that uh, less than 100 years ago, you couldn't uh, go more than, I think it was 20 miles an hour. Otherwise, you would essentially just not work. You uh, you find that these limiting beliefs are, are often constructs that we form. So it's always interesting to me when we learn more about people, their psychology, and rather than branding them out as being... I mean, we have these words like heteronormative, meaning that this is the norm, um, but realizing that essentially the what we deem as being normal may not be as normal as we deem it to be.
1: And, but, uh, you know, I so that, um, someone who's intersex, that's their biological sex, mm-hmm. that's just as someone who's non-binary and that's gender expression, you know, just because they're not born that way. It's not like they're equally as valid in my eyes.
0: Sure. Sure. So someone that has gone through this journey where you've discovered your sexuality have you come across any resistance um from your, your peers from your family <laughs> in regards to your sexuality like have you been judged a lot what are some of the uh the pitfalls that you've come across identifying rem- coming into yourself
1: um when i came out to my parents as bisexual and my mom was horrified you know she always had this vision of me you know the husband and children and the white picket fence and the all of this stuff and I'd just fully come in and just obliterated that and she was like oh no you're not bisexual this is just a phase like you'll get over it you just need to meet the right man (laughs) and like a decade later I'm like hmm I'm pretty, pretty sure I know who I am and what I'm about, you know, it's, it's been a journey, but you know, over time she's become more and more accepting. I think that was easier for her to accept. Like she's now accepted me as pansexual. She struggles a little bit with the non-binary stuff. I think it's a generational gap, but what she definitely doesn't accept is like my poly, my polyamory. That is just like, oh, she, she oh, wow. said that to me. It was one thing. <laughs> I've pansexual, but when you throw in polyamory as well, it's just too much for me.
0: <laughs> yeah, let's get into that, because that is quite a taboo topic, right? Because we, we come into this, uh, this age where, or at least in the past, um, there was kind of like this taboo around, particularly with women, you'll find that where you, we, I think women tend to do this more with each other than anyone, you know, they tend to be so judgmental when it comes to women um being having more more than one partner there was a time at least in the in the west where it was considered weird for women to uh, to uh, to have more than one partner per se you know they expected you to be with someone for the rest of your life kind of thing but obviously we've we've changed a lot over the last few decades but we've moved into this age where i still feel like there is taboo around this topic because we have this idea that essentially people get married to a, a male gets married to a female and they live happily ever after they don't divorce. They don't have, God forbid, they don't have any other sexual partners. And if they, if they do shame on you, you're going to, particularly if you're a religious person, you know, you're going to suffer the torment of uh, Helen Brimstone and all that kind of stuff. And I'm guessing that's something that you may have confronted um, not just from your family, but from your, your friends. I mean, what has your experience been like in the polyamory scene? Um,
1: It's definitely, you know, I'm in the minority, <laughs> you know, majority of people in society are monogamous. Um,
0: well, that's, an, that's something that I find very interesting because whereas we say that, I think pe- there's a distinction between how people behave and what people actually are. Like people say that they're monogamous, right? But more often than not, you'll find that they act as if they're not in terms of not having the same partner for life. And they tend to, you know, be with other people, but they try to maintain monogamy. So we say that they're monogamous because more often than not, you have a look at the proclivity that most, I would say men and women have is that they, at some point in their life, they do want to be with more than one person, but we say that they're monogamous, even though their actions are not always consistent with that. Mm, So So what what do you think? Do you think people are typically, um, on a normative level, they lean towards polyamory or monogamy.
1: Ah, oh, well, this is a whole, we could do a whole podcast about yeah. this. And,
0: um, I'm very interested in this topic because I've, I've had very interesting debates with my friends about this. And I, I often bring up a researcher called um, Christopher. He's got this book called Sex at Dawn. I'm not sure if you're familiar uh, with it. Yeah. but, he, I've, but not,
1: I've read the book, but I've been told by many people what I'm saying sounds like it comes from the book.
0: Well, yeah. And there's actually a lot of... Um, research to support this in terms, people always look towards our ancestry, but they realize that the human ancestry is very diverse. There are certain norms in certain cultures that are completely different to other cultures. And you find more than anything, we are a product of our environment. And what people say to the DNA is often something that has has been shaped by our culture um, through, and it's not consistent throughout all of the human DNA in terms of having a proclivity to one kind of way being if you want to say well, what saying.
1: when we speak to that in mm-hmm. times people didn't mate for life you know evolution happened because people mated with different people until they got the strongest genes you know i think personally naturally that it's definitely capable for people to be in love with more than one person at the same time mm-hmm. and you know the person I was five years ago is so different to the person I am today and I am forever changing and mm-hmm. you know one person you know ever meet me you know where I'm at like and there's so much conditioning around like you have to be monogamous and marriage and all this stuff and like it's very like archaic like marriage like women being the property of men and like life and all this and it's like if that wasn't a concept maybe things would be different you know like I I feel like mm, polyamory for me just feels so much more like free and less you know restrictive like I can be friends with someone and it can turn into a lovership or it can go back to that there's no like restrictions whereas like if you're in a monogamous relationship it's like you cannot There's no room to move, like, you -hmm. you kind
0: of think. I think a lot of people's ideas around this are are created through um, indoctrination religion as opposed to reality. And I find more often than not, when it comes to what people actually feel, like I alluded to this earlier, people do have this proclivity to be with, let's say, more than one person. And in regards to uh, my whole experience, I find that... uh, when we even look at the concept of love, where is most people, most guys can understand that it's perfectly normal to have more than one friend. Like if, if one of my friends was to say, <laughs> yo, Chris, you, I, I don't want you being with any other friends, man. Like you, you gotta be only around me. I'd be like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? Like, <laughs> no, you know, but for some reason, and, and it, it's a different kind, right. Of love. But here's the yeah. thing. Like, let me finish. When you apply that to a partner though, right. It's like, if, um, if your partner tells you, look, I don't want you seeing anyone else, you know, and you're like, well, why? I mean, you? there's this whole possessiveness that goes around it because people get jealous, right? But it's because we're yeah. dealing, whereas we use the word love to encompass both, you know, a lot of these different things like friendship as a form of love. It's called philia in ancient Greek. Um, but then we have uh, eros, which is the kind of love that I think most people are talking about. And we kind of uh, lump these things as being the same. But when we're talking mm-hmm. about love in terms of romance, I think it's more of a possessive kind of love. It's kind of like the love where you say, "I love you," provided you, uh, you make me feel a particular way. And if you were going to be with anyone, and if you give that love to anyone else, I don't want you around me because it makes me feel hurt because of the jealousy. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird thing that we have adopted as being love, because classically, like the love that I think you might be re- referring to in pansexualism, is a grander kind of love, like it's referred to as agape. I actually speak about this in my recent book, uh, Vegan Prince, Warrior King, shameless plug there. But <laughs> <laughs> it, it deals with the concept of expanding this, uh, this net of, of compassion towards old beings, whereas you start with, let's say, a, a small unit, like a, a community, like your family, and you have this this care, this love towards them, you want them to thrive. You, know, mm-hmm. you love them. That kind of love is typically referred to as storge. Like it's this filial connection that you have where it's, they say blood is thicker than water. And it's interesting yeah. because uh, I often say that the uh, uh, the blood of, of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. And that's the full, uh, that's where the actual phrase, the uh, blood is thick in the water. That's like the correction actually deals with the fact that it's not just about your family connections that you formed; It's actually about casting a wider net and realizing that the the kind of connections that you form through community and, and then through the world, through the universe that you connect, that's actually stronger than any kind of um, filial connection or even romantic connection that you have with person. Yeah. It's actually moving towards a more expansive concept of, of love. But I just think it's important yeah. to, so because of that, when I look at love, like real love, I... I don't limit that to one person. I tend to be more polyamorous when it comes to that. Like when it comes to, uh, I'm not the possessive kind of person, you know, like I, I, I do enjoy, in the same way, I enjoy being around certain friends. I enjoy being around certain um, women, individuals, and the idea of mm. having to li- I think relationships are transient, so they often change. And the idea of wanting to stick, remain stagnant, and when things change, getting angry, that doesn't serve you. That's kind of my perspective on that.
1: And I really agree. And, you know, how well is monogamy working out for the majority of society when we look at all these, like, skyrocketing divorce rates and all these mm. people cheating their partners, you know? There's so much, you know, and like you said, it's, it's this possessiveness. It's all these conditions. It's like I will love you on these conditions, whereas polyamory, mm. it's like unconditional love. Like, it's more expansive. There's more room to grow and, you know, Acknowledging relationships for what they are—they are there for a reason or a season, you know—allowing ourselves that room to move.
0: Absolutely. So I guess the biggest question when we we kind of tangent off from relationships is why do you think people cheat? Because this is connected to not just what is going on in our own personal lives and so forth that creates a lot of this disharmony, this trauma. Because a lot of times people' biggest trauma are around rejection and so forth and infidelity. Mm. Um, what why do you think um, there are so many broken relationships and so forth?
1: Well, I think people are indoctrinated to believe monogamy is the only way. And then they get these feelings for other people. And instead of being able to talk about that and, and kind of like negotiate that, they do it in the shadow. They do it behind closed doors, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a natural thing to have feelings for more than one person um yeah
0: yeah i I tend to agree you have a look at the the historic the historical presence for this and it's actually something of the more recent history of the west the the renaissance period where we started to move into this um this realm of romantic love in terms of um needing to be with one person but classically in the western world a lot of civilization the whole concept of marriage has been more around family empires wanting to unite people had little to do with the love per se, but then we moved into it's this about- realm of, sorry, I missed that.
1: It's all about property.
0: Very much so, very much so. But yeah. just moving on from that, like I know another th- interesting thing that you're really involved in is Laura. Like I love to talk about people's journey and how they've gone through this metaphor- metamorphosis in my podcast. And I know you started off being, dare I say, a normie in the sense that you were obviously straight. You were um, more kind of a, uh, Uh, caught up in the general way of seeing things before you moved into this pansexual um kind of hippie worldview where you're more um um transcendent in your ideals not limited to any kind of um uh, concepts per se but i know that a big part even now of your your interest your your work has been connected to i guess lore perhaps um, some specific kind of lore what does that involve
1: well i guess you know when i was younger um I was smart and <laughs> got sent to a, What's you talking know, about,
0: you're smart private. right now you're evolving more. You're <laughs> only a conscious spiritual intensity kind of smart now,
1: <laughs> like, which is even more so. Where I was going with this is I was at a private school and, you know, mm-hmm. I did legal stuff and I really loved it. I, I was in the debate team, like super nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I got a great OP, so I went and studied law because that's what my parents were like that'll get you a good job you know and being the good little girl that I was I went off and and did that and um mm. you know I, I I worked in law firms for a bit but as I got older and as I got more I guess awake I became pretty like dissatisfied there um because it was just like really conservative and this massive boys club and I didn't fit in I was getting in trouble for like you know standing up for things that I thought were wrong and um
0: that's interesting to hear you say that it's a boys club in in the the typical law environment because you do find there are certain um sexes that gravitate towards one kind of uh um, institution is that the case with the would you say the legal side of things at least from your experience and do they have a particular way of seeing the world that kind of clash with there's
1: yours there's a lot of women that study law but if you look mm. at all the law firms and the kind of senior associates and the people up high they're all old white men um and you know me at the time being like this like little feminist and like starting to like find my way in the world i was like what is going on here And you know there was really racist things being said and yeah, I just I wasn't really fitting in. Um so I I left that. Um I went to government for a bit. I went to work at the Department of Environment because I was like, I care about the environment. I'm gonna go and you know help help the people of Queensland and look after the environment. And you know, I went in there very like naive. And a few years later I came out and I was like Oh, the government's really not doing things to protect the environment. They're doing things like, you know, approving the biggest coal mine in the Southern Hemisphere when we have all this climate change and like they're I'm approving smiling. all these.
0: <laughs> because a lot Koala of people have that experience, yeah.
1: To be demolished mm. when they're an endangered species, so we can build some houses. And you know, then I started getting into activism and like I was getting in trouble because I was like protesting against you know a and things the department was approving when I was working there because so I was like this is this is messed up so mm-hmm. <laughs> I ended up leaving that um and I didn't know what to do with myself I was like I care about the environment I have this law degree what do I do and yeah I went to this conference called New Kind, um in Tasmania and it's really cool it brings together all these like activists and academics and indigenous people and I went and I like went to this lawyer's talks I went to all his talks and I like told him about my story and he was like yeah go and you know join this environmental not-for-profit in Brisbane so that's what I I did and it feels like a lot more aligned and yeah we're the only earth laws organization in Australia and essentially what we're doing is we're building a whole new system so a system that centers the earth that looks at the wisdom of first nations peoples that works with the best science that we have in terms of planetary boundaries and is building a system based on place so what what needs to be done in this place for the nature to thrive and that feels like really good in my heart and i feel super grateful that i get to do this work and it's been quite a journey to get there and yeah Mm. as i've become awake if you will i've become clearer on who I am and I've found something that aligns with my values so yeah super super grateful I get to do that work
0: that's powerful and it's often I find anyway that where is it's difficult when you're going through the journey to figure out how uh, everything is connected because you move from one thing to something else but I just looking at your story I can see how it's actually served uh, its purpose I mean the fact that you've, you've gone off working for the government and you've learned all of these skills in regards to how the system works now and now you're actually, worries that may not have been what you wanted to do, the kind of stuff that was going on in the government, you've used those tools in order to actually fight for something that I know you're very passionate about that is obviously aligned with this, uh, this new um, person that you've, uh, you've emerged into and it's actually serving your highest purpose. I think that's the most important thing to do something that you're not only good at but aligns with your passion And it's something that, um, I'm finding myself trying to move into at the moment. And I think a lot of people, particularly the last couple of years that have, have had more time to take a step back and try to figure out what they're doing. Um, they've realized that, uh, yeah, it is important to live a life that you, that, uh, serves a higher ideal, you know, rather than just, um, trying to make a dollar and so forth. Um, but, you know, I would be remiss if I did not discuss your journey into, uh, um, the whole uh, plant-based vegan vegetarian kind of lifestyle, because I know that's been a factor for you as well, right? Like you've uh, you become quite the uh, uh, the the bee gangster, as I like to say. What was your experience? <laughs> Is that another thing to add that your parents were like, "Oh, very disappointed about here you are being a bisexual." You know, then you you become <laughs> like an earth hippie defender. Now you're what? You're you're eating you're eating rabbit food. Oh, you're yeah, giving I've- your parents a lot to deal with. <laughs> what was that experience been- like?
1: Veganism was a huge part of my spiritual evolution, 100%, you know. Um, Before I was vegan, I was so depressed and anxious and, you know, dealing with, you know, I, I was working in the corporate world and I hated it and I'd go out and I'd drink and I'd numb myself and I'd party. And then I found veganism and it was like my whole world, like, changed, you know. I stopped contributing to the suffering of animals and then suddenly because I wasn't consuming that fear and consuming that suffering my vibration increased and you know I was introduced to this whole other world and met all these spiritual people and you know found yoga and meditation and nudism and tantra and all of these things that came together that healed me and you know it also opened my eyes to all these other social justice issues like the environment and you know first Nations struggles and all these things like it it put me on the path that i'm on and i'm forever grateful for it
0: that's powerful i'm sure you must have had some challenges along the way though because i find um a lot of the times when you are on your right track right purpose that's often when yeah. you come across the most resistance you know there's this idea that um, you know at, that, sorry going
1: at the start it was challenging you know I grew up mm-hmm. in an Aussie family eating like sausages and roasts and all this stuff and to like go from that to well I actually went from vegetarian to vegan my vegetarian journey was about six years so I've been vegan for five now Was that damn addiction to cheese? It's that, what's that substance in there that's addictive as casing? The cake. But anyway, yes, it was a huge, like, you know, challenge for my family to accept. But going vegan, actually, like, when I had the support of, like, there was actually. A woman that i was seeing at the time that converted me having her support you know she showed me all the vegan restaurants she showed me how to cook we'd go to activism together then through activism i found a whole community and actually ended up finding myself in this like vegan bubble which i've now kind of expanded from but yeah having that support definitely helped i don't think it would have been as easy if i was on my own
0: no doubt i think Our environment plays a huge role in the direction that we go. Um, I find, though, that we definitely come across challenges like in all of our journeys, and there are times when, like I've been finding as of late, that there's been this disconnect that I've been having. You know, there there are all these things that are going on in the world right now, and you find because you are changing, people uh, often change, and you don't change in the same direction. You know, I mean, I I I like to believe that sometimes, like there there's nothing in terms of you you losing your friends. It's just that you end up vibrating in a different um, way and as a result like it's a product of you know the physics like when you can't have two things in a very different uh, vibrational state you know um, having harmony creates disharmony so essentially you phase out and you no longer have them in your life and it's something that mm. i've gone through but there's also been this tremendous uh d- difficult difficulty of uh, growing into myself not having the same community that i have around me or that mm-hmm. a community per se and you have to you I find anyway my journey has been um, realizing that you know if I don't have a community a uh, uh, ecosystem um, sorry not an ecosystem but essentially a yeah, essentially a community around me then you have to walk your your path you know nonetheless I think one of the mm-hmm. hardest things is when people don't have that support around their friends I mean you obviously didn't have what your family but you found people but they still mm-hmm um, make the change, you know, but I think it's beautiful that you were obviously able to get the support. And I know the kind of individual you are, you know, the kind of strong person you are, like you're, you're someone that is going to find your own path, regardless of, um, uh, where you find yourself, what a community you find yourself around.
1: And that's it. You know, I'm not really in that vegan bubble anymore, but I will be Mm -hmm. vegan for life because, you know, I can't go back, you know, I, I can't be a reason for another life to be taken or to cause suffering i i don't want to cause harm to the environment i don't want to mm. cause harm to my own temple my own health like sure. it just is so like core to who i am Vegan for life <laughs> oh,
0: i love it i love it I, one of the things i often hear from a lot of people that are like oh you one of these like rabbit eating people is that well there there's always like something that you're going to be um facilitating in terms of harm uh, you heard people throw that at you that like just because you're vegan doesn't mean you're not harming the planet and so forth and how do you respond to people that have that attitude because the reality is i mean regardless of what we're doing you know whether you want to call yourself a flexitarian vegan vegetarian uh feminist i mean there are all forms of uh, there's always going to be something in this kind of system that we're facilitating even just through the taxation system you know funding industries that are just stripping the environment and so forth and uh how's your uh Well, I guess, how have you uh, dealt with people that take on that kind of um, criticism?
1: I've heard that many times before, and it's a straw man argument, you know? The thing is, like, there's there's extremes, right? So there's the Jainism people that, you know, they they don't leave the house because they might step on an ant. But Mm -hmm. veganism isn't about It's about what's practicable and possible. And if Mm -hmm. that's what I can do to reduce harm and suffering that's what i will do and it feels good yes i have a mobile phone you know yes i have a car but these are things that in society like i need to get to to function whereas you know i don't need to eat meat or animal products or Mm -hmm. you know buy them i can get by without them so it's there's a point of difference there, you know, and I just feel better. Like I'm lighter. I have more energy. I don't get sick as much. Like it just makes logical sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's it's definitely something that uh, I like to bring up because it's it is a, a big issue in this world. Like I love the idea of doing what you can to uplift the vibration of the planet because we can always do more. But you fall into yeah. this trap because the the ideo- the ideology behind veganism. I actually speak about the roots, the origins of this within the West versus the uh, the Eastern tradition, and it does stem from the philosophy of Ahimsa, the giants. But regardless of whether or not you want to adopt the practical, oh, here we go. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. The practical or possible attitude. People always say that there's always more you can do, but it comes down to doing what you can and making a conscious effort to avoid harm. That's my attitude to avoid harming things because indirectly, we're always going to be facilitating things, but it's doing what you, once you become aware of it, of what your actions are actually bringing about, it's doing what you can to avoid that. So my whole attitude is fundamentally, it's about striving to do as much as you can, you know, Um, and just because you're not doing everything, obviously, um, because realistically, there is more often than not in the current system we're involved in, there's always going to be something that we're complicit in, but it's about taking it upon yourself to make that change. It's it's a process. It's a verb, not an actual uh, destination per se. It's something that is constantly changing, like striving to uplift the vibration, not only of the planet, but yourself. And as you change yourself, you change the
1: planet. And there's but, so, so many things that mm-hmm. we can do and I'm not perfect, you know, like I'm not zero waste. And I, I, you know, I've only just started composting my food and there's all these little things. It's like, but it's like you said, doing your best. And once you know better, you do better. And it's that journey of trying to do better each day.
0: Absolutely. Kudos. Amen to that. righty. <laughs> so, uh, Christina, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on my podcast. We've done about an hour now. Now, I did want to mention an event that you have coming up. You're apparently uh, launching an event. Is it this Friday for the embodiment embodiment coaching that you're doing? Do you want to tell us a bit about that?
1: Sure. So this Friday, I have an event on in Mermaid Beach at 6.30 p.m. called Kinky Gaia. So this will be an eco-sexuality and conscious kink event. Um, So we're going to be dropping with a beautiful cacao ceremony and uh, I'll be guiding you through a Kundalini activation to get you into your body and clear out your energetic channels. And yeah, we'll be connecting with each other, the divine, the earth, exploring with the five elements, earth, air, water, fire, spirit using some organic kind of nature toys and playing exploring having fun so i'm really really excited for that
0: that sounds absolutely amazing but just so that the uh, the Kingster, is the, the the crazy uh, horny guys don't get the wrong idea this is not just some kind of like crazy wild sex party right this is your, your what is ca- cacao facilitation and what is this kundalini um event that you're uh, hosting I mean what are some of the things you want to take us through and also you mentioned eco uh ecosexuality perhaps I'm not sure if we've spoken about this but do you want to just speak a little about that so people know what they're getting themselves into
1: um so ecosexuality is just about connecting with the eroticism of nature you know imagining the earth as a lover instead of a mother so there's many Ooh, different ways something
0: different to
1: express <laughs> this you know for some people, it might be having like vegan or organic sex toys all the way up from the spectrum of that to literally having sex with the earth. Um, and, so you know, you, you actually
0: have people humping the ground in these events. I mean, they, they go like, what? what, what is- I have this crazy image in mind here. I mean, what is going on at these parties? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, you know, that's a very limited and narrow mind. Of sex, seeing it as like you know, penetration. There's many other activities that can be seen as sexual, you know, touch, movement, stimulating erogenous zones, you know, breath. And you know, it can be, you know, there's ways to connect to the earth sexually that are different to that. You know, like it could be like not at this event, but in general, it could be you know, being naked on the earth, feeling the earth between your toes, you know eating um some fruit really centrally like it's it's a whole like we could do a whole podcast about this alone <laughs> yeah well, a lot. we
0: may have to you know because i know there are many facets to what you do there's the uh there's the more central kind of spiritual side but then there's i guess what the, the side that a lot of the the, the crazy guys want to get into you know <laughs> like all the the kinkster but- stuff you know which is also I, I a lot of people view that as being somehow like a pernicious thing but i think that can be a very like when we're talking about tantra and things like that that are i guess more they're they're oriented on the spiritual but uh, essentially they use the 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 sexual uh when i say sexual i'm talking about the physical climax and so forth to bring that about but these are all aspects of um well this uh this this world that um i know you're caught up in if i'm not mistaken yeah
1: so kink has a really bad name but kink basically Mm -hmm. means anything alternative sexually um you know like what comes to mind for most people is bdsm but when i speak to kink um i'm talking about conscious kink. so you know kink that's consensually negotiated um you know you're acting it out in a really conscious way so exploring with your heart you know with full presence experiencing the physical sensations the emotions the energy letting that kind of fully move through you and it can be a gate to huge self-development you know discovering parts of ourselves um coming into ecstatic experiences reaching altered states of consciousness like this isn't like a sex party or a bunch of horny dudes you know sitting Mm. around this is a way to reach a high state of consciousness like this is exciting
0: absolutely i think one of the limitations of the human condition in any conversation is that we're often using words in order to create uh, an understanding and people have different understandings of what these words mean like when i hear kink i have these images of like guys in like in furry costumes that comes to mind you know um (laughs) making out and stuff like that but i know it doesn't even touch on on that it's so much more than that you know and i guess part of this experience with 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 what you're doing is um um, not just learning about new ways of being, but um, upgrading your uh, your lexicon, the, the words in your understanding um, that you're using in order to uh, to yeah to download um, reality in this Euclidean meat space, you know.
1: And really, like all my work is about is about teaching people to come home to their bodies, to connect to the earth, connect to their pleasure, so that they can evolve. Like it's as simple as that.
0: Absolutely, I love it it's about evolving. It's about spirituality. It's about um, returning to your center yourself. Christina, mm. you are a beautiful goddess of spiritual intensity. And I love all the stuff that you're involved in. Thank you for being authentic. Thank you for being you. And uh, thank you for coming on the crystal Journey podcast. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to more of these, um, these kinky, in the most um, beautiful sense of the word, uh, conversations in the future.
1: You're so welcome and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure to, to chat with you.
0: Likewise. Namaste. So if people want to get a hold of you, um, I got your details. Uh, you're obviously on the Instagram. Is there Are there any other sites that you want to drop? Any other contacts?
1: Um, we'll yeah, Kundalini Kitty. Me on Instagram. And I just joined TikTok thanks to your influence. So I'm Kundalini Kitty on there as well.
0: <laughs> Kundalini Kitty. All right. I'm going to put the details down below. Ladies and gentlemen, check her out. This amazing goddess. She's gonna upgrade your mind to a whole new understanding of reality and uh, get you immersed in this uh, this spiritual kingster, spiritual intensity world that that she's involved in. (laughs) Christina, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. All right.
1: Okay.
0: I'm just gonna wind this down. Just gonna wind this down, and uh, Mm -hmm. come back to this in one second. Okay.
1: 444 four, four. angel numbers uh-huh. Oh we got uh-huh. angel
0: numbers. That's always um that's always nice.
1: A good sign. Okay. I